We begin today's shiur seven lines from the top of Daf Samach Dalit. Omar of Tuvi Bar Kisna, Omar Shmuel. Kisvin Igeres Mered al Arusa, Vein Kisvin Igeres Mered al Shemeres Yavam. This concept of Igeres Mered is the topic that we started in our last year. This is a reference to a woman that rebels against her husband. The simple case, we'll, ca- we'll say the case that's accepted unanimously, is a situation where a woman refuses to be, uh, provide intimacy with her husband. In other words, she, she refuses to be with him as a man and wife. In such a case, there is a procedure that we saw in our last year where there is a reduction uh, made in her ksuba. The original takone, the original enactment was on a weekly basis, uh, seven dinar or seven tarpikin, according to Rebuda, are reduced. Then there was a later enactment, and as we saw in our previous shiur. But all of that is contained within a, these, this reference to the Igeris merit, a, a proclamation or a declaration that this woman is uh, rebelling and she stands to lose out on her ksuba and uh, be divorced. So Shmuel says that this is done with regard to an Arusa, but not done with regard to a Shomeris Yovam. Is Shomeris Yovam being a woman whose husband had died leaving no children, but leaving a surviving brother, her brother-in-law. And if she uh, is rebelling against the Yovam, so we don't follow the procedure that we mentioned just a moment before. The Gemara asks, Meisveh, this is a, uh, a a quote from the uh, Tanaic source that we learned in our previous year, and the the full source uh, was found on Samach Gimel Omid Beis, in which the law of Moredis was featured, and all of these women are grouped together. And what do you notice? Even the Shomeres Yavam. As you can see, it's dashed underline. Now, we have a question, therefore, on Shmuel. We glance at the side where we have a Nosei Mivne, a topic heading and structural note, which features the triangle that you'll uh, see in this Gemara as the Sugya unfolds. The triangle represents Shuvos Liyashev, these are attempts with the triangle point facing up. They're attempts to resolve the problem where Shmuel on the one hand says, and the Tanaic source says yes. The inverted triangle represents kushos alachivos. They they're questions <coughs> with regard to the answer that was given previously. So now the Gemara answer number one lo kasha kan shetovahu kan shetovahi. Uh, the brisa is where the the yavam the husband is seeking her out and she is rebelling. Shmuel's din is where she is seeking out the yibum 
and he is refusing. The Omar of Tachlifa Bar Avimi Omar Shmuel Tova Hu Nizkokinlo. If he seeks out the Yevoma and she rebels, so we Nizkokinlo means we will write the Igeris Merid, which uh, ultimately uh, benefits him, and so in the sense that she will end up losing out the Ksuba. Tova he Ein Nizkokinlo. If she is seeking out the Yivum, and he doesn't want to go ahead with it, so we don't write the uh, Igeris Mered, which otherwise would have entitled her to an increase in the Ksuba, as we learned in our previous year. Bimai Ukimta Laha So how did we set up Shmuel's Din of Ein Kaiswin? Bishetova He where she was seeking out. Now, the Gemara raises a question. It's a question is called a grammatical type question. Hi, Kaiswini Geras Merit, Al Arusa, in the original uh, statement of Shmuel, it was, it was, that's what we saw. Well, instead of saying that, and by the way, it's a little star, you can see which uh, directs your attention to the star above, on that line is where we saw Shmuel saying this. If the case of Shmuel, where he said, So then the, the language would be, it should have been, uh, let, let me read that line again. It should have said that in the case where we will write the Igeris the, the, the Merit, and, and as Shmuel said, it was a case of Tavahi, uh, where she is seeking out the bonding. So in the case of the Shemeris Yavam, we don't write it. But in the case of the Arusa, we will write it. And she is seeking out the bonding. And therefore, when we write the Geras Merid, we're writing it in a, in a fashion that she is going to receive more and more. It's going to be to her benefit. So that the language of Shmuel of Kaisuni Geras Merit Alarusa is not accurate. Le Arusami Bayale. It should have said for her. We write it not regarding her, but for her, for her benefit. After all, we explained that Shmuel is referring to a case of of Tavahi. So the Gemara answers as far as the uh, issue of the grammar is concerned. Ha Lokashia. This isn't a problem to me, Le Arusa. If it's a matter of altering the text of the original statement of Shmuel, the the, the change between the al, uh, the the word al and the and, and dropping the ayin so that you have just le arusa, that's a a minor uh, problem, and therefore make that change and teach it, uh, teach Shmuel's point as kaiswin igeres merit le arusa, because in in that that case where we described Shmuel saying she is seeking out the bonding and, uh, and and he is the one who is rebelling, refusing to go along. The Gemara asks, My Shno Shomeris Yavam Delop. In the case of Shmuel, he said that where she's Tova'as, the Shomeris Yavam, you have the widow and the brother-in-law and she is seeking out the, the marriage with him and he is refusing, he's uh, rebelling. We don't write an Igeris Merid for her benefit. 
the Amrinon law, we tell her, zeal, lo mifkidis, go. You don't have to get married because you're not commanded. Mifkidis means commanded in the midst of reproduction. So on those grounds, so like uh, no big deal if, if okay, you want to get married, but and he doesn't want. What's uh, what's the big pressure for you to uh, to to want to get married to him? You're not commanded in 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 having children. That's a man's commandment. Well, arusanami namele. Then in the case of the arusa, let us say the same thing. Zeal lo mifkidis go. You're not commanded. So that, that even though you uh, entered the first stage of the marital bond, but he doesn't want to go ahead with the marriage, and you do, she shouldn't. We shouldn't be writing any garis merit for her benefit when she's not commanded in the mitzvah of having children, i.e., having a family which is accomplished through marriage. And yet, Shmuel said that we do write any garis merit for the arusa Ella. The Arusa is coming with a reason, a claim. The Omra, the lady is saying, I want children. Literally, I want a stick, a walking stick for my hand, and I want a shovel for my burial. Meaning, I want a I want a son. I want children. I want a son that will help me walk around in my old age, uh, support me, physically support me, and I want a son that will take care of my burial. So, uh, regardless of the mitzvah aspect, the woman wants children for, we'll say, practical reasons. And that's the reason that we write the Geras Merit on behalf of the Arusa, when she wants to get married, she wants to go ahead with consummating the marriage, and he rebels, uh, she has a strong claim, and she's entitled, therefore, to the uh, to the weekly increase in the Ksuba. Well, hachinami shomeres yavam bebal machmas tainus. So why don't we apply the same standard to the case of the shomeres yavam? She wants to get married. She wants to have a child that will take care of her in her old age and after her death. So why there do we ignore her claims or her, her wishes? You'll see that we have a double underline just to highlight the, the um, uniformity of structure that this Gemara uh, presents. Uh, we've highlighted this expression, Ella Edividi, means both the Shmuel and the Brisa, and the Tanaic source that we saw. Shetova Hu. The man is the one that wants to go ahead with the marriage, and she is resisting, she is rebelling. Well, if the circumstances of Shmuel and the Brisa are the same, so how do we resolve the difference between them? The low Kashya. And there's no problem with regard to the Yavoma. Kan lachloitz v'kan liyabem. We will write the Geras Mered where he wants to do chalitza. And we won't write the Geras Mered where what he is seeking out is the marriage with her, with the Yibum. The Omer of Pedosam Rabbi Yochanan, 
Tova Lachlotz, Nizkokin Lo, if he is desirous of Chalitza, he wants her to participate in the shoe removal ceremony that releases her, and that's what he wants and she refuses. So, Nizkokin Lo, we will write the Igaris Merit. And that's what the Brysa was talking about. However, if he is seeking her out in order to marry her, so then we don't write the Igeris merit for him. The Gemara asks, Why in the case of Yibam do we say that eh, we, we don't uh, answer his... Uh, his, his uh, claims or his desires, his wishes. We don't write the Igeris Merit, uh, which would, uh, in effect, uh, reduce her ksuba. The Amrino Lay, we tell him, what do you have to be fixated on her for? Zil go marry another woman. Lachlot Nami, in the case where he is seeking out Chalitza, she refuses. Name let us say to him, Zil v'nosef itzah achriti. Go marry another woman. Or do you have to uh, be so uh, uh, fixated on doing chalitza with her? What's what's preventing you from going to marry another woman? Ella, the Omar, the the husband or the the yavam has a claim. He says kevon daagidobi, since she is attached to me. Without doing chalitza, she cannot marry anyone else. The Torah expects her to marry him, the surviving brother or her brother-in-law. She's attached to him. For whatever reason, she doesn't want to do the chalitza ceremony. But in the meantime, he has this feeling that she's attached to me. And since she's attached to me, lo ko yahavu li achriti. They're not giving to me another woman. In other words, other women aren't, don't want to marry me. Because I'm, I'm a fellow that's got this, uh, this sister-in-law attached to him. And as a result of that, he has a claim. That's what we said when it's Tova Lachlots Nizkokinlo. He has a strong claim. Well, Hochanami, in the case of Tova Liyabim, where he wants to marry her, and she refuses, Kevon Dagida B, the same problem arises. Since she's attached to him, Lo ko yavu li achriti. No one else, no other lady is going to be given over to him. And therefore, for us to tell him, oh, go marry some other lady, that's not reason for us to say, ain niskokin lo. That's not a good, going to be a good explanation for Shmuel, who said that we don't write Igeris Merit al Shemeris Yavim, and you wanted to say that's in a case where he's Tevali Abim. He is in trouble, and she is not cooperating with him. So why don't we help him out? Both in the case of the Bryce and the case of Shmuel, he is seeking out the Yavama for Yibon purposes. He wants to marry her, and she is refusing. If that's the case, if they both have the same circumstances, why is there a distinction with regard to the Moredes, whereby Shmuel says, we don't write an Igeris merit, and in the Brisa we do. But it's, and it's the same circumstances, below Kashi, there's no difficulty. Kan Kemishna Rishayna, Kan Kemishna Achrino. There was a, an early teaching, and then a later enactment. This none, and things will become clear when we learn the source. 
mitzvahs yibum kaidemes le mitzvahs chalitza. But Rishona, shoyu miskavnim l'shu mitzvah. There is precedence given to the mitzvah of yibum over the mitzvah chalitza. Both are legitimate tracks when dealing with a widow of a husband that left no children, and there's a surviving brother. Originally, when the when when the marriage was done with pure uh, mitzvah purposes in mind, as the Torah dictates that the surviving brother will maintain the uh, the name of his deceased brother through having children with the widow, that's the mitzvah, and then we prefer yibum over chalitza. But nowadays, she'ein miskavnen l'shu mitzvah. People's minds are not as pure, and the uh, the brother-in-law sees his sister-in-law, and he feels he might very well have a sense of attraction to her uh, outside the realm of mitzvah. People don't have that level of purity of thought anymore. Omru, so the sages ruled mitzvahs chalitza kodemes le mitzvahs ibum. Chalitza is more is is preferable. Therefore. Both, sort, both Shmuel and the Teneg source are talking about a man that wants to do Yibum. And she is refusing. In the old days, and that's what the Teneg source was referring to, he has the upper hand. His claim is a strong claim and she's rebellious. Therefore, she will lose out. Will, uh, she, she's a widow that would have been entitled to receive a Ksuba, but it's going to be reduced. However, in later times... And that's what Shmuel was referring to. He's, he is insistent on something that he really shouldn't do. He's insisting on marrying her, but we prefer that they do chalitza. And we don't see any indication that she's uh, resisting doing the chalitza. All she's resisting is doing the yibum. And she has a, a right to resist doing the yibum. And therefore, her refusal to do yibum is not something that we're going to... We're not going to cause her any loss as a result of her resisting doing Yibam when in fact she's cho- she's chosen the correct path. Ad Mosai Hu Poches V'chulei In the Mishnah we saw a machlokis between the Tanakama and Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi the Tanakama mentioned that we reduce the Ksuba of Amoredes by seven dinurim per week. According to Abhuda, seven tarpeikin. The Gemara asks, My tarpeikin, what is that? Omar Rav Sheshes Astira. Astira is a coin known as Rashi says, Sela Medina. The Kama Astira, how much is an Astira? Palga Dezuza. It is half a Zuz. There are different uh, coinage standards that you see in the Shas, in the Talmud. One of the prominent dual, dual coin standards is Kesef Medina versus Kesef Tsuri. The same names are attached to uh, the, the two coinage systems. However, the Sela Tsuri has a value of eight times more than the Sela Medina, than the Medina coinage with the same name. So that the 
Gemara in asking how much is a an, is an astira, the Gemara answers it is half a tsuri zuz. So as we've written in above the Gemara between the lines, an astira is a half tsuri zuz, which is also to be noted as three mo'a kesef. It's another coin, another name, three silver mo'a. Tanya Nami Hachi, a brisa that supports this. Rabbi Omer, Shloisha Tarp Ikin, Shehain Teisha Moyin, three Tarp Ikin is the equivalent of nine Moyin, and a Mo, which comes out to Mo Vechetzi Lechol Yom, not including Shabbos. This uh, Tanaic source is referring to a case where where the husband is moraid and we have to increase her ksuba. So Rebuta says the way the amount that it would, with which we increase her ksuba is it'll be three tarpikin a week which is the equivalent of nine moin that shows you that one tarpik equals three moa which comes out to be not including Shabbos you have six uh, six um, times one and a half six times one and a half more per day that will bring you to a total of nine moyen which is the same as three tarpikin being that each tarpik contains three more kesef before we continue in the Gemara we have a top, a no say topic heading on the side. Hezber Hevdel Akaspi Ben Hamoredes. We're going to explain the difference money wise, or, or say the reason uh, um, uh, there is a difference in amounts between a woman who is rebellious, where we find Shemafchisin Mimeno Tarpik Liom. We reduce her ksuba to the tune of one Tarpik per day. The Kolel Shabbos. It's according to Rebuta, for example, it's seven tarpics a week. So it's including Shabbos, you would figure it's one tarpic per day. Seven days a week, seven tarpics per week. Levain Amoyrid Alishto, as opposed to a man who rebels against his wife, Shemoisif in law rak chatsi tarpic liyom, where we find that we add to her ksuba only half a tarpic per day. Uh, and, and we also do not recognize Shabbos as a day where she will receive more. So on a, if you focus on a, let's say, a daily amount, the man is going to be receiving, in other words, they're adding to, I should say that the man is, is uh, going to be uh, uh, able to reduce the amount he pays by one full tarpic per day and the woman when we talk about her suba being increased it's only going to be increased by half a tarpic per day so there's a certain level of what would appear on the surface as being uh, inequality the Gemara Omar Lei Rav Bar Yosef Lishmuel Maishno Ihu what is different about 
him. Meaning when she is rebelling, the Yavinon lay the Shabbos, the seven tarpic figure, which is one tarpic per day, we enable him to benefit, including Shabbos. Maishnoihi, when she is rebellious, the Yavinon law the Shabbos, where we don't acknowledge Shabbos in our increase of her Ksuba, when whereby we say she receives only one half a tarpic per day, adding resulting in a, a total of three per week. The Gemara answers, when it comes to a case where she is rebelling, and the result of that is a reduction in her ksuba, the mifchis ka pachis, where we when she's rebelling we reduce the amount uh, entitled to the woman. No merci kishar Shabbos. We're not <coughs> given the impression that she is getting paid for Shabbos. There's no additional payment being made. There's subtraction that's taking place. So it doesn't appear as if there is uh, payment or income uh, enjoyed on Shabbos in, uh, as, a re- as a result of Shabbos. Of course, we're working with the premise that everyone understands that one is not supposed to be paid uh, for work he does on Shabbos. Ehu, the man, when he is rebelling, what happens? We're increasing, we're paying, we're proactive in, in, that, in that sense that we're adding to the woman's ksuba. The oisoifi ka there is addition that's taking place, there's payment, so to speak. We continue at the top of Omid Beis. Merci Kishar Shabbos. It gives the impression as if there is profiteering uh, taking place on Shabbos as well. And therefore we don't want to, in, in case of the man who is rebelling and we're going to be paying to the lady, we don't want to have, we want to have a, 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 a situation, at least a, a a financial arrangement where it doesn't where we don't create the impression that she is receiving something for Shabbos as well. It's interesting to note by way of names. Uh, it was just in the in the previous question we had Rav Bar Yosef as well uh, asking the question. Here again you see him asking the question. A, a new question. Ma bain moreid lemoredes. What is the difference? What do we mean by what's the difference? When the, when the man rebels, we see that we're we're acknowledging that by adding to her only a half a topic per day. And when she rebels, she gives up a full topic per day. Why that? Discrepancy, that seeming inequality. Omar lay say ulamad mishuk shel zainos. So Shmuel, and uh, it's so interesting how we've we've made this point many times. It's a theme that that uh, here at Gemara Markings we we try to emphasize throughout the Shas how the Shas deals on a very earth earthly level. He says you want to know what the difference is. You go and take a look. Analyze uh, what, what happens when it comes to a man seeking out uh, female companionship, if you want to put it uh, in those nice uh, politically correct terms, or a man who's seeking out 
uh, female comfort as is in the case of harlotry. What takes place? Me so cheres me. Who hires whom? Who is, we'll say, who is more desperate, if we can put it in, in those um, common terms? Who needs to hire whom? Rashi, mi socheres mi, hefeyomer ish socher es ho'isho. It's the man who's desperate. Shamami no tsa'aroi meruba. The fact that he is seeking out the harlot shows that it, he is experiencing greater pain by having the those needs, let's say, deprived uh, from him. So that if the if his wife is rebelling, so he she is creating more tsar than when the when he is rebelling against her. Therefore, that increased uh, uh, pain that the man feels is manifest in the in, in the this we'll call the uh, this discrepancy or seeming inequality uh, in money terms. Dovaracher, another explanation. Ze yitzro mi bachutz, ze yitzro mi befnim. Rashi says yitzro mi bachutz. <coughs> Yitzro means uh, literally one's inclination. It's the the male, and here we need to deal with we, have, we need to recognize male physiology as well. Rashi says kishuyo nikur umizgane. When a when a man has a desire for intimacy, so the male organ takes on a. Uh, we'll say a different form than it usually is when a person is, we'll say, at rest. And it's something that is visible and it's a source of, uh, of uh, genai. It's not something that, uh, we'll say, it's not something that, that increases one's honor when, when it's uh, noticeable by others. So the man, once again, he experiences this, this increased we'll say, form of shame when, uh, when he is deprived from uh, this particular need. And hence, her depriving him of it, her rebellion is a more serious matter than when it's the other way around. Before we continue with the Mishnah, we glance at the side under our nose, our topic heading, We've written kamut uh, quantity, kamut hamozoin shechayev odom lesapek lishto. How much food is a person expected to provide his wife? Mi shemefarnes oisa derech apotropos. The Mishnah will be featuring a case where the husband has uh, entrusted, we'll say, the um, the uh, obligation uh, of uh, of one's wife receiving a food allowance to an executor. So you have a case where the, the husband and wife are not living together in a uh, regular home situation. The, maybe the husband went abroad and he's entrusting the funds uh, needed to purchase food for his wife in the hands of a, an apotropist, an executor. So now, how much does the husband have to provide? The Mishnah. Hamashra es ishto ayadei sholish. A uh, man who was mefarnes his wife through an intermediary, lo yivchois law, he shall not provide any less per week. Mishnei kavim chitim, o marbo kavim sorin, not less than two kav. Kav is a measure. Two kav of chita of wheat, or four kav of sorin. Om Rabbi Yosi, lo pasak law, elo lo pasak lo sorin elo Rabbi Shmuel. 
Here we're going to translate, leaving room for the Gemara to change or elucidate some of these points beyond the simple translation level. But as we learn the Mishnah, we'll just focus on the translation. Rabbi Yossi says that uh, only Rabbi Shmuel, who was near Edom, would, uh, uh, would make an allowance for barley. The Nosein law Hatzikav Kitnis, in addition to the wheat allowance, there is a half a cup of Kitnis type of legume, the Chatsi Lug Shemen, a half a Lug is a measure, a liquid measure, a half a Lug of oil, the Kav Grogros O Monodvela, a Kav of, uh, Kav is a, again, a measure of dried figs, or uh, a Mona, Mona is a weight of the Vela, Vela are pressed figs. So there might be either loose dry figs or pressed figs. The im ain low, and if he uh, doesn't have that, posek lumosam, in their stead, he uh, is to supply peros mimokomachir, uh, fruit from some other place. The no sein law mito machzeles, he's to provide for a bed, a mapets and machzeles are types of mats. A mapets, Rashi says, is softer than a machzeles. The Nosein law, Kipo Rosha, and he's to provide a type of head covering uh, on an annual basis. That's a Kipo Rosha. Rashi uses an expression, Saif. That's a type of headgear uh, once it for, on an annual basis. The Chagor Lemosneha, a belt, Umin Olim, Mimoyed Lemoyed, and shoes. Uh, th- uh, thrice annually, from uh, from holiday to holiday, the kelim shel hamishim zuz mishana lishana, and a uh, wardrobe of clothing. Kelim is a reference here to clothing uh, amounting to fifty zuz once a year. The ein noisnim lo lo chadoshim b'moisachamav lo shchokim b'moisachshamim, and he is not to provide uh, new. Uh, New clothing are, as opposed to worn clothing, new clothing are thicker, so they will create more body heat. So that one should, that's not to be chadoshim, new clothing are not to be provided for her during the summer season. nor worn out clothing, which by their very nature are thinner and less in, uh, insulatory, uh, therefore they should not be provided during the, uh, the rainy season, the cold season. Elanoisin law. Rather, the 50 zoos worth of clothing are provided during the cold season. And she'll continue wearing them as they are more worn out during the summer uh, when she doesn't need the uh, body heat to be uh, preserved. Shchokim means the, when they get worn out, even when she gets new clothing, she keeps the worn-out clothing from of the previous year. Uh, you'll ask, what does she need to keep the worn-out clothing for? We'll see that later. In addition to uh, everything we've mentioned till now, he gives her also a type of weekly allowance called a mo'al kesef for small purchases. And the Mishnah says that the Oicheles Imo, she, and here we're just going to translate, the Gemara will 
elaborate on this, but she will eat with him uh, every Friday night. So even if the husband is not in the, the husband is entrusted her, the, the wife's support to someone else uh, uh, th- throughout the week, nevertheless, when it comes to Friday night, they eat together. If the husband does not provide her with that uh, weekly cash allowance, and uh, the Gemara earlier in the Masifta, Rashi mentions Dafnun Tesam Aleph. The term here of Maisida is a reference to Moser Maisida, the amount above the expected work production of the woman, the extra amount that she will keep. That's because the husband is not providing her with the Mo'al Kesef, the weekly allowance. Umahi Oisolo, what does she have to produce for him? We just mentioned something called the Mosar Maisyadel, the amount above and beyond. So what's the expected amount through which we can then know what constitutes above that amount? Answer, Mishkal Chomesh Sloyim Shti Biuda Shein Eser Sloyim Begolil. We mentioned before different coinage systems. There are also different measuring systems. So that, let's say, the, the uh, if you would say that a, a pound uh, in Yehuda was actually uh, twice the, the pound of Goliel. So that here, using the Mishnah's terms, Chomesh, the, the weight of wool that she's expected to spin, in Yehuda is called five sela of shti shti. In a loom, you have a uh, there's two uh, um, thicknesses of thread. One's called the whoop and one's called the wharf. And the shti is the thinner of those two strands. And she's expected to produce to spin five sela is a is a, a weight five sela in weight of shti in Yehuda and when you uh, that that uh, that weight will in Goliel terms be Shane Esther Sloim Begolil. It's ten Sloim in Golil. Don't make the mistake to think that in, in Golil we expect her to produce twice as much as a, a married woman in, in Yehuda. That's not so. It's just that the weight of ten Sela in Golil is the same as five Sela in Yehuda because of their different Standard. They might use the same name, but it's a reference to an act, to an, in effect, a different weight. Oi mishkal eser sloim orev bihuda. Orev is the thicker of the two types of threads that are put on the loom. So in and the um, uh, Rashi pointed out that it's more difficult to spin the shti uh, type thread, the thin threads, than the thicker ones. So that. Uh, she's expected to, to produce more of the thicker kind of thread, being that it's easier to produce. Hence, the uh, the Mishnah says uh, either she's to produce five sela of shti in Yehuda, or mishkal eser sloim orev bihuda shein esrim sloim begolil. If she's going to be working on the orev quality thread, then it will be ten sela in Yehuda and twenty in Golil. Vim hoisa menika. If she was, if uh, if a woman is nursing, pochasin law mimaisudel. We expect less work production. Umosifin law amazonosam. We're going to add 
to the amount of food she has to receive. She needs to eat more than an un than a, a non-pregnant woman. The statistics, the amounts that we've mentioned till now, that's when the husband is a poor man. A person who is uh, distinguished, uh, distinguished, I would have to assume in the context of the Mishnah here is distinguished in terms of money. Um, in Masachas Erevin, if I'm not mistaken, it says, Rabbi Haya Machabedes Washirim. Rabbi showed honor to the wealthy. So that the term Machubad, uh, honor, and wealth are, are terms appropriate with, for one, with one another. So if someone is wealthy, Hakol Lafi Kvodo. So then the amount that he's going to be expected to provide his wife in the, in the items mentioned above will be in accordance with his abilities. All we gave above were the we called the minimum amounts. Let me point out that the Gemara from here till four lines from the bottom is, I would say, is a, a highly statistical uh, type Gemara. Statistics meaning uh, numbers and uh, their equivalencies uh, in terms of food that will be featured quite extensively in this section of Gemara. Uh, for those who m- may have learned Maseches Erevin, this piece of Gemara may seem quite familiar. Before we begin the actual Gemara text, we glance at the, in the margin, we see the Nosei, the topic heading, Moni Masnisen, who is the author of our Mishnah, Shebeshnei Kav, Yesh Mozon L'Shavua Yomim. Mishnah mentioned that two kav of wheat would be sufficient to cover the woman's food needs for a week. That means, roughly speaking, uh, if every day a person eats two meals, and we'll make that, that certainly is an assumption we're going to make and accept. A, a person eats two meals a day, uh, and, and, and seven days a week, that would be 14 meals. So we have to look for someone who holds that two kav, that is the amount featured in our Mishnah, would be the amount for a week's worth of food. And hence the Gemara opens up with the question, Mani Mas Nisen, in accordance with whom is our Mishnah, Lo Rabbi Yochanan ben Broika, Velo Rabbi Shimon. These are two Tanoim whose names appear amongst other names that will also appear, but the Gemara is focusing on these names, saying that our Mishnah that said that two kav is the quantity of food for a week, namely 14 meals, two meals a day, that's 14 meals, the Mishnah that said that is Loka Rabbi Yochum Broika of the Loka Rabbi Shimon. It doesn't, it doesn't conform to the opinions of either Rabbi Yochum and Broika nor Rabbi Shimon. And now we see a source, and you can just take note of the fact we have a long question. The question being, who is the author of our Mishnah? Disnan. We have a Tanaic source that features the amount of food necessary for making a, an Eruv Tchumen. An Eruv Tchumen, very briefly, is an attempt on the part of an individual when it comes to Shabbos to redefine his Shabbos location. So that instead of dwelling in a city, he would say that he dwells at, in one direction outside the city, extended in that particular direction. So that in 
terms of Shabbos, a person's entitled to walk 2,000 Amis in all directions around the city in which he uh, is dwelling or the place at which he is found when Shabbos sets in, he can say that instead of walking 2,000 Amis in all directions, I rather would want, I would rather walk 4,000 Amis east of the city. So in order to do so, he would place a certain quantity of food, and this is what is of importance for us, two meals worth of food at a point up till 2,000 Amis east of the city, if that's what his desire is, that will enable him to walk from the point at which he placed the food an additional 2,000 Amis from that point. He's redefining his location based on the location of the food that... uh, that exists uh, as Shabbos sets in. Truth be told, the details of Erev Tchumen are not important for us. What we have to know right now is an issue of food quantity. So the source says, what is the quantity of food that would constitute two meals for the Erev purposes? Mozon shte seudos l'chol echad v'echad. The amount of food that would be two meals worth for each person that needs that wants to extend his uh, his his uh, Shabbos or or change his Shabbos location for that particular week for that particular Shabbos. Mizono lechol velo leShabbos. Divrei Rebbe Meir. When we talk when we talk about two meals worth, it's weekday meals, not Shabbos meals. That's Rebbe Meir's approach. Rebbe Yudomer, le Shabbos velo lechol. Two Shabbos meals, not weekday meals. Vizeh, vizeh, miskavnin lehokel. Both Rebbe Meir and Rebbe Yuda are, uh, their intention is to be lenient, to uh, um, require a lesser amount of food each one respectively. So if you look at Rebbe Meir, he said two uh, weekday meals. Rebbe Meir's weekday meal, uh, during Rebbe Meir's weekday meal, he would consume less bread than he would during Shabbos. So it's two uh, meals worth of bread that he would eat on a weekday meal, or along with a weekday meal, as opposed to a Shabbos meal. Rebuta has just the opposite. His uh, bread consumption consumption during Shabbos was less than his bread consumption during the week. So two Shabbos meals of bread for Rabbi Huda is less than uh, two two weekday meals for Rabbi Huda. That's what the uh, source means when Zev is at each one Rabbi Meir and Rabbi were trying to be Mekil each one respectively. Uh, Rashi fills in some more details but in with regard to our discussion right now, we don't have to emphasize Rebbe Meir and Rebuta. The following names are more significant. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the source. The source is going to be, at first glance, for most people to learn this, is, um, will appear uh, obscure, will be difficult, but we've provided some, we'll say, uh, quasi-charts on the side of our Gemara, which we'll then go through and hopefully... Uh, will be able to make things much easier. First, we'll read the text. Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka Omer. What is the quantity of food that constitutes two meals? Uh, we should just remind you that when we 
opened this section of Gemara, we said that our Mishnah that says two kav is this is the quantity of a week's worth of meals, fourteen meals, two meals a day. Two kav is that amount is not like the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan and Broka and Rabbi Shimon. As we go through the source, bear in mind that they are presenting quantities that will equal two meals. We simply have to then multiply to see that our Mishnah of two kav equaling 14 meals is not what the calculations would result in when you multiply Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka's amount and Rabbi Shimon's amount, uh, each one by by seven, because the amounts Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka and Rabbi Shimon present to us in this source is the amount for two meals, because they're dealing with the issue of Eruv Tumin. The source says, Rabbi Yochanan Broka Omer, Kikar, a loaf, Halokuach Bepunyon, Punyon is a type of coin. It's a, a loaf of bread that you would be able to buy for a punyon. Me'arba so'in besela. Sela is also a coin. It's a much larger coin than a punyon. And four saw is a quantity that's much larger than the kikar that's featured in this source. So Rav Yochan Broca is telling us two meals is contained within a loaf that you would buy for a punyon when four saw of of wheat would go for a sela. Reb Shimon Omer, Shtei Yodos Likikar, how much is there in two meals worth of bread? It's Shtei Yodos Likikar, it's two-thirds of a loaf, Misholosh Kikros Likav, when three full loaves are contained in a kav. So what you have to do then is, you have to uh, subdivide here uh, the Three to uh, the three full loaves that would equal a kav. How much is contained in two thirds of a loaf? The again, as we said before, we'll deal with the numbers in a more in an orderly fashion when we look at the side of the more very shortly. The source goes on with a series of additional halachas, but we do not have to emphasize. We don't have to really offer uh, too much explanation. Do not dwell on the continuation of this source, other than the minimum amount that we're going to say, because it gets off the topic. The amount that we've given so far is an amount uh, for Eruv Tchumen. It's the amount uh, that would be equivalent of two meals worth of bread. Half that amount, Chetzya Lebeis Hamenuga. Half that amount has relevance to laws regarding someone who is in a house that's afflicted with Tzoras. How long must he dwell or stay, uh, tarry in the house in order to become Tome, a presence in a, in a, in a Tzoras afflicted house renders the individual Tome. But how long would he have to tarry in the house? The amount of time to eat uh, bread, half the quantity that was mentioned for Eruv Tumen. The Chatsi Chetzya, Lefsoa Segvia, and half that amount, means half the amount of the base Hamanuga that we just mentioned, if one would eat Tome food, half that amount, so then he would become on a rabbinic level, the person who ate Tomei food to that 
amount would become Tomei. Gvia means his body. His own body would become Tomei. And that has ramifications with regard to eating of Truma, that a person who ate Tomei food and he himself became Tomei cannot then eat Truma until he uh, purifies himself. And then half of that amount, the Chatsi, Chatsi Chatsi, Lekabel Tumas Ochlin. In order for food to be able to um, absorb food defilement. And when we talk about absorbing food defilement, let us talk about food to become defiled in order for it to have the power to communicate Tumah to other food, then that, the minimum amount of food required for that is half the amount that was referred to when we dealt with Psulvia. And Psulvia was half the amount with regard to that which was referred to by the Beis HaMnuga, and Beis HaMnuga was half the amount required for Eruve Tumen. Um, again, my apologies if that seems a bit abstract or unclear. It's not important for our uh, uh, efforts right now. Now we get down to brass tacks. You see the Gemara continues with the question, money, our Mishnah, that said two kav is equal to 14 meals, it's According to whom? E. Reb and Ben Broca. If you go through all of the statistics that we'll try to present shortly, if you um, think that our mission is authored by Reb Ben Ben Broca, well, Tamni Havion, two kav, according to Reb Ben Broca's calculations, two kav will yield only eight meals. Our Mishnah puts forward that two kav would equal 14 meals. The Rabbi Shimon, and if you were to say that our mission is authored by Rabbi Shimon, two kav, according to Rabbi Shimon, would yield tamni, sorry, havian, 18 meals, not 14 meals. So our mission is somewhere in between. It's not Rabbi Yochan and Broca whose calculations would lead us to Two kav equaling eight meals, nor Rabbi Shimon, according to whom two kav would yield eighteen meals. So, how do we get to all of these numbers? So, let us uh, look at the side. We have some notes on the side. You can find them by looking at the starred notes. There's a single starred note, and it says on the side of Agumor, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka. One Selah, these are, uh, we'll just say these are statistics, these are amounts, and we'll work with them as givens. One Selah, so Selah is a coin. One Selah contains 48 punyons. Punyon is a, a much smaller coin. It's 1 48th of a Selah. Another point that we saw is that one Selah will buy you, will, you'll be able to buy with one sela four sa'ah. That was mentioned in the source. Four sa'ah is a, uh, is a, a, a quantity of, of wheat. One sa'ah, another statistic that you should know, equals six kav. And that would cost you 12 punyon. Now, how did we get to that? Well, we just saw before that four saw 
is the same as uh, is, is equal to one selah and that one selah was also 48 punyon so instead of talking about four saw costing you uh, let's say 48 punyon one saw would cost you 12 punyon now we go to the cost of one half a kav the, the, on the line just before we made reference to six kav so here you're dealing with a half a kav that's one twelfth the, the amount uh, that just referred to one half kav is then one twelfth of six kav if six kav gets you, is, will cost you twelve punyon a half a kav is one punyon what did Rabbi Yochanan and Broca say about the amount of uh, amount of food that would constitute two sudos. Rabbi Yochan Menbroka said it's the amount that you find in a loaf that you would buy for one punyon. Of course, when four saw was a sella. That's what we've described just now. One punyon will get you a loaf that's a half a kav. And that loaf, a kikar, is two meals. Therefore, two kav, which is a quantity we saw in the Mishnah for a week's worth of meals, what is two kav going to be equal to in the eyes of Rabbi Yochum and Broca? Two kav, according to Rabbi Yochum and Broca, we've written on this side, two kav shemofiyah b'mishnah l'fiyah cheshbonish Rabbi Yochum and Broca, eight suudos, not lo yudalad, not fourteen. How did we get to eight meals? Well, if a half a kav is two meals. How many half calves are there in two full calves? There are four half calves. Now each half calf represented two meals. So if there are four half calves and each half calf is two meals, it's four times two is eight meals. So that demonstrates, a, that presents a problem for us. Our Mishnah then is not authored by Rabbi Yochum and Broca because our Mishnah spoke about two kav equaling 14 meals and the calculations according to Rabbi Yochum and Broca lead us to say that two kavs would, lead, would result would uh, be the equivalent of eight meals. We also saw Reb Shimon. Well, uh, according to Reb Shimon, Three kav, or actually, correction, three loaves was the equivalent of one kav. One loaf is therefore one third of a kav. That should be obvious. One third just so happens to be three ninths. That's a uh, just an equivalent fraction. Three ninths of a kav is the same as a third of a kav, and that's one full kikar. What was the amount that Reb Shimon referred to when he spoke about two meals worth? He spoke about not a full kikar, but rather two-thirds. He said, shte yodos. Shte yodos means two-thirds of a loaf. How much is contained in two-thirds of a loaf, according to Reb Shimon? Well, if a full loaf is three-ninths, What's two-thirds of three-ninths? What's two out of three parts when you're dealing with that fraction? 
three ninths or three parts, three ninths. Two thirds, two of them would be two ninths. So we can say that two thirds of a loaf is two ninths of a kav. And that two ninths of a kav is shte sudos, is two meals worth. Two ninths of a kav is the same as two thirds of a loaf. And Rip Shimon said two thirds of a loaf, given that three loaves is a kav, so two thirds of one loaf is two ninths of a kav. We can also say that one ninth of a kav is one meal. The two thirds of a loaf was a statistic necessary for Eruve Tchumen. Eruve Tchumen required two meals worth. What, well, how much is there in one meal? So it follows that one ninth of a kav is one meal. So let's ask ourselves, and two full kavs, how many meals will there be? So if one-ninth of a kav is one meal, how many one-ninth kavs are there in two full kavs? Eighteen-ninths. Nine-ninths is one kav. Two kav, therefore, is two. Is twice that amount. Is eighteen-ninths. One-ninth is one meal, so eighteen-ninths is eighteen meals. Oh, so what do we see here? We see that two kav, according to Rav Shimon, results in 18 meals, not 14. Once again, our Mishnah does not appear to be like Rav Shimon either. As the Gemara goes on, we see a new marking. You see a bow tie shape. And on the side, under our Mivna heading, the bow tie is shitos tanoim shemishnosenu kemoisam. The uh, Gemara will suggest that our Mishnah could, in fact, be like Rabbi Yochanan Broika, and later in the Gemara it'll say it could be like Rabbi Shimon as well. Each one according to his own shita. It's our job then to see how do we how do we get what appears right now the eight meals of Rabbi Yochanan Broika to somehow work out to fourteen, or the. Uh, the 18 meals referred to Reb Shimon as being somehow 14. 18 is not 14, and 8 is not 14 either. How do we, how do we, uh, how do we resolve all of this? So that's the Gemara's task at hand. The Oilum Reb Yochum and Broka. And we have to factor in Rav Chista. The triangles are chuvos, are, are answers liyashev mishnosenu, to resolve our Mishnah with these respective tanoyim. That's the purpose of the triangle, to highlight the resolutions, and the diamond are two shiurim shorav, because you'll see two statistics brought in the name of Rav Chist, and that itself poses a problem. How can the same author present two different statistics on the same topic? That's why we'll, we will have highlighted Rav Chista's name. So in the meantime, our Mishnah that spoke about two kav as being 14 meals, that's according to Rabbi Yochum and Broka, but we have to add some information. First we'll translate and then we'll go through um, a more extensive explanation. Rav Chista in, a, in, his, in, in a different context said that you have to uh, take off a third for the chenvoni. The chenvoni is the fellow who who sells 
uh, he's the, the, the grocery man. He sells, he, he actually prepares the breads, he bakes the breads and then sells them. So he profits one third. One third profit is what the Chenvani uh, gets. So Rav Chisto, in a different context, spoke about, well, you've got to take off a third for the Chenvani. So here, too, in our calculations, the numbers that we, that we saw by Rav Yochum and Broca, you have to take that number and add to it a third. I see Tilsa, bring, add another third, Shadi Olayhu, and, and, uh, and put it upon, uh, add it to the, to the eight. Rav Yochum and Broca gave us two kav, resulting in eight um, in eight pseudos, yeah, that two kav will give you eight pseudos after the chenvoni took off his profit. But in reality, the two kav of of uh, of uh, wheat, when you pri- when you 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 grind it and you and you ba- you make it into flour and you bake it, it will in actuality produce not eight meals worth, but add a third means you take eight, divide it into two, and add one of those upon it. So, what we would do is you take eight, and you add four, because four represents a third of the new number, namely twelve. Let's take a look at the Rashi, uh, five lines under the Gemara, under, under the Gemara text, Tzemehem Shlish Chenvoni, Rabbi Yochanan, that's Rabbi Yochanan Broka, Lo she'er bechatsi kav. He didn't make his statement of two meals uh, based on a half a kav. Ella, but rather Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka said that two meals is bekikar halakuch bepunyon menechenvoni. It's a loaf that you would buy from the Merchant, uh, in exchange for paying him a punyon. Vehu lokach arbesoyin chitin besela. The chenvoni we mentioned before. He's not only the vendor, but he's the he's the baker. He's the 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 businessman. He buys that businessman. The chenvoni buys for saw. Arba so'in chitin, four saw of wheat, besela, and he pays a sela for it. And it sh- you, what you have to know, umistakir shlish betorach, he profits 33.3%, a third, because of all of his efforts. He buys raw wheat, he has to grind it. Is to make it, and after that, makes it into flour and all the procedures that are necessary until you finally get a baked loaf. That's all upon the chenvoni, so he has a right to a respectable profit. So he profits a third. So now, what we know about the chenvoni is that he bought four se'ah for a sela. We also know that when he sells his loaves, he's profiting a third. That means that when he, that when he sells uh, three loaves, two of them help him break even, 
And the third loaf that he sells is profit for him. Nimsu, the result of all of this is Bechatsi Kav Shalosh Seudos. When you deal with the, the, let's say, the simple measures, a half a kav, uh, which, by the way, we pointed out earlier, a half a kav is uh, um, 148th of a, a four saw. There's six kav in one saw. There are 24 kav in four saw, and there are 48th half kavim in four saw. So, uh, when the chenvoni sells, uh, when he produces a half a kav, he's actually producing three meals worth. Hashtayim hu mocher beponyon, two meals worth, which is, uh, is two meals worth, he will um, sell for a ponyon, shenosan, uh, that the customer paid for. Vagimel Mestaker, the third is the the third is going to be his profit. So, once again, in a half a kav, in reality, not like we thought before that a half a kav represented two meals. No! A half a kav represented the amount that a chenvoni would sell plus his profit of a third. So that when it comes to Rav Yochum and Broca, he said that if you buy uh, 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 with one punyon, you buy a loaf, and that loaf represents two meals worth, you have to realize that that's what the customer bought. The customer bought a loaf that has two meals worth of, of bread in it. But as far as the amount that a half a kav will produce, it produces not two meals worth. A half a kav will produce three meals worth of food. We now turn back to the Gemara. Our original calculations led us to believe that Rabbi Yochanan Broca's half a kav produced, uh, I should say, Rabbi Yochanan Broca's two kav would yield eight meals. And now we're telling you that in reality, from two kav, according to Rabbi Yochanan Broca, you would be able to get 12 meals worth of bread. Nevertheless, Akati, the Gemara asks, Tarti, sorry, Havi, that's still 12. And she needs 14 meals. So how can our Mishnah say, give her two kav? Granted, according to Rabbi Yochan Broca, two kav would provide 12 meals for the woman, but she's being supported by a, by a, uh, by a sholish, by, a, by, a, by, a, by an apotropis. She deserves 14 meals. So two kav isn't enough. The Gemara answers, why do you say that two kav is not enough? She eats with him Friday night, so that uh, the the twelve meals that the twelve that the two kav represents, that's twelve meals for the six days of the week, and she she eats with him Friday night. So so she so twelve meals are enough for her. 
So the husband will be giving her directly the food of Friday night. So that pshat is helpful if you say that Achila, when the a source, when the Mishnah said she eats with him Friday, each, every Friday night, that means actual eating. So the, that, that meal is covered by the husband himself and the executor doesn't have to provide that for the lady. But according to the uh, interpretation that Achila meant intimacy, so uh, we're still there. We're still short uh, meals. Twelve meals is not enough. The and a second and maybe more obvious problem is Tlesar Havyon. The two kav, as we've said till now, will get her twelve meals. The Friday night meal that'll be the thirteenth meal, but she needs fourteen meals. So we've accounted only for thirteen. So the two kav is still not enough. Ella, Kidom Rav Chista, Tseimehem Mechza Lechenvani, Hachinami Asya Palga Vishadi Alaihu. When it comes to the two kav and what it actually produces, so for for a person that buys a, a, a loaf for a punyon, so it's true he's getting two meals worth, but that's after the chenvoni took off his profit. And how much does the chenvoni profit? Not one third, but rather one half. So that if after profits we see that a half a kav equals two meals. In truth, a half a kav would produce four meals because the half kav represented the uh, the half kav uh, equaling two meals represented the amount after the chenvoni took off his profit. So when we deal with a half a kav, uh, a person will be able to produce from a half a kav in reality not two meals but four meals. So that having been said, we're going to add not a third, but add a half. And when we say a half, it means you take your basic number and add it. Getting a new number, the original number being half of the new number. So if the original number, a half a kav, was four meals, in reality, a half a kav, excuse me, if a half a kav in reality originally was two meals, in reality, if you're going to make it, not the chenvani, but you're going to take a half a kav, you'll be able to get four meals out of that. So if a half a kav is four meals, two kav that the Mishnah mentioned would be four times that amount, because in two kav you've got four halves. So if a half a kav was four meals, two kav will be 16 meals. That's 16 instead of the original eight. Okay, 16 meals, that's a... That's a that's a nice quantity. So if you give the lady a two kav, you're in effect giving her enough for the week, you're giving her sixteen meals. The uh, Gemara asks, "It's very nice that we're being generous, but uh, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for accurate statistics." We have a, a bracketed section within which the bracket deals with the seeming contradiction in Rav Chista's, but right after the brackets, you see Ihachi Shitsari Havyon. Uh, if that be the case, then the woman's getting 16 meals for the week. Well, 
Keman, we ask in, in wonderment, 16 meals, for how would you get to that number? I'll tell you how you can get to that number. For six of the, of the seven days, putting Shabbos aside for a minute, for six of the days, two meals a day, that's 12. Shabbos, everyone knows, in Shabbos there's an extra meal, we call it Sudash Lishit, some could call Shalishudis. There's a daya that says on Shabbos one doesn't eat three meals, one eats four meals. It's a it's the opinion of a, it's a, we'll call it a, a, an individual opinion, a minor opinion. Are you then going to say that our Mishnah that says the woman is to get two kav, and that two kav in reality produces 16 meals, and in order to come up with that number 16, you'd have to say she's eating four meals on Shabbos. Keman, Karebi, Chidka, that's that individual opinion. Are you saying that our Mishnah uh, represents this minority opinion of Rabbi Chidka, that a person is obligated to eat four meals on Shabbos? It's quite, quite unusual that we'd have a, a, a Stam Mishnah, an unnamed Mishnah, which is considered authoritative, uh, or I, I should say not so much an unnamed Mishnah, but we're dealing with uh, no, if correct, we are correct. The Mishnah, the, the Shnei Kav, is, uh, is part of the uh, unnamed uh, section of the Mishnah, and in accordance with the minority opinion. The Gemara says, that is not a problem. Afilu Temo Rabbonon. Our Mishnah doesn't have to be according to a Pshitka that talks about four meals on Shabbos, but like the Rabbonon, three meals on Shabbos. So, uh, yeah, but three meals on Shabbos would mean six days of the week, two meals a day, that's 12, plus three for Shabbos. That's 15. What about the fact that we said that two kav would yield 16 meals? Dal Take off one from the 16, and that's given... Uh, the lady is is given that, uh, that extra meals uh, quantity for wayfarers, for archipachy guests that might be passing through. So that the the 16 meals that the lady is given in the form of two kav is a, um, is a justifiable amount that will contain enough food for her weekday meals, two meals a day, for her three meals of Shabbos, and an extra quantity of food, extra meals worth for guests. Now that we've come up with this analysis, our Mishnah can conform with Rabbi Shimon. Now, according to Rabbi Shimon, two kav, as we demonstrated earlier, would yield 18 meals. How does a a woman come off needing 18 meals for the week? Le Rabbonon, According to the Rabbonah that a person eats three meals on Shabbos, so that would get that would result in uh, fifteen meals for the week. That's twelve for the weekdays plus three for Shabbos. Fifteen. From the eighteen that that Reb Shimon would give her, take off three meals worth of food for the visitors. And the Rabbi Tchitka, according to Rabbi Tchitka, that a woman, that a person is going to eat actually 16 meals during the week, including Shabbos, that is, 16 total. The 18 of Rabbi Shimon is accounted for as follows, Dal Tarti 
According to Rabbi Chitka, all that a, a person needs to receive is an additional two meals for the benefit of guests. So what we've done is resolved um, our Mishnah uh, with the, the, uh, concerning the issue of authorship as being either according to Rabbi Yochaman Broka or according to Rabbi Shimon with all of the different adjustments we just made. Now we did skip a bracketed section and that is now the focus of our attention. Kashia de Ravchista de Ravchista. We seem to have an internal contradiction within Ravchista. Why? If you look at the first diamond, Ravchista says that a Chenvani profits a third. According to the second diamond, the Chenvani profits a half. Low Kashia. There is no contradiction. Ha ba'asra de yohiv tzivi, ha ba'asra de lo yohavi tzivi. And we look directly in Rashi. Ba'asra, we're looking at Rashi four lines from the bottom of the page. Ba'asra de yohiv tzivi, misha moicher chitim lechenvoni, lasos kikros velimkor beshuk, the wheat supplier to the chenvoni. The chenvoni is the one who's going to make these, he's going to process the, the wheat into, in, eventually into loaves and sell them. Where the wheat provider, the wheat wholesaler, also provides the fuel, the eitzimer's wood, the fuel for the chenvoni. The chenvoni doesn't need to profit any more than a third. He's not. He doesn't have. He doesn't lay out uh, any additional money for wood. He doesn't have to go out on his own to buy the wood. It's included in the wheat that he purchases. And Rashi goes on. We're, we'll just assume that uh, that. The guy who's supplying the the wood, it's it's uh, it doesn't result in the chenvoni paying extra because he's also getting the wood. The guy who supplies the wheat, he throws the wood on top, so to speak. It's a freebie. So the chenvoni doesn't ha- he's not paying any extra for the wood, so he doesn't have to he has to doesn't have to uh, cover the expenditures through uh, through added profits. So he add so he profits one third. However, where the wheat supplier supplies only wheat and doesn't supply the fuel the the chenvoni will keep for himself half of the uh, stuff that he sells for profit the fact that the chenvoni has to lay out funds for the wood that forces him to reduce the amount of of kikros that he will sell simply to break even needing more kikros to sell in order to realize the profit and the profit that extra profit he needs to uh, to compensate for his fuel expenditures so there's no so the main thing for us to realize there's no contradiction within Rafistas be, uh, between his uh, statement of a third prophet versus a half prophet. The Mishnah had made reference to, in addition to the uh, possibility of feeding the woman uh, wheat, 
the statistic of two kav of wheat was mentioned, or four kav of barley. Rabiosi said that this reference to barley would have been made only by Rabbi Shmuel, who was near Edom. So the Gemara, Omar of Yossi, four lines from the bottom, Lo Pasak Sorm Bechule, Elo Beedom, Hu De Achlin Sorm Bechule Amo Lo Achli. Rabbi Yossi gives us the impression that because Rabbi Shmuel uh, was near Edom, that's why any reference was made to barley, because otherwise no one eats barley. Is that true? Is it only in Edom that they eat barley and, and the rest of the world? No. Hochi Komar. So the more accurate understanding of the Mishnah is as follows. Lo posak sorim kiflayim bechitim elo Rabbi Shmuel sheyasomuch Edom. The amount mentioned in the Mishnah of barley was twice the amount mentioned for wheat. So Rabbi Yossi is telling us that this idea of a double amount of barley relative to the wheat, that would have been stated only by the likes of Rabbi Shmuel, who was near Edom. The barley from Edom was of poor quality. My impression is, is that there was probably a lot of debris, maybe a lot of shells or the amount of kernel available for making barley flour in any given grain there was... Was, was significantly less, so that you'd have to give a very large quantity, twice the quantity of, of uh, raw barley, in order for uh, the uh, person, the woman, to realize a week's worth of food, uh, double the amount relative to the wheat, in barley terms, in order to get that week's amount of food. The no sein lo kav kitnis, the Mishnah mentioned a half a kav of kitnis, the iluyayin lo kotoni. The Mishnah doesn't make any reference to a wine provision for the woman. Once again, we emphasize we're talking about a woman who is being uh, uh, supported through an executor. Her husband is not with her, and the Mishnah makes no reference of the executor providing the woman wine. Messiah Rebelozer, this supports Rebelozer, the Omer Rebelozer. The Gemara continues at the top of Daf Samachay. We do not supply, we don't um, arrange for wine uh, to be provided for a woman. The Imtomar, you might ask, what do you mean? What, women don't drink wine? The Posuk says, Elcha. The Pesach describes a, uh, a woman uh, who is uh, following uh, her beloved, who provides her with all kinds of food matters and clothing matters, and it says, Shikuya means like mashke, a drink, and the drink we are associating with wine. So women do drink wine. The Gemara says, no, shikuyoi in the Pesach is not a reference to wine, but devorim things that a woman desires. So the, the root of the word, the shin kuf in that word, isn't from what we thought the word mashke, but rather hishtokikut, uh, to desire. Um, what are those things that women desire? Tachshitim, jewelry. 
So the the point this the point of this uh, last section of Gemara uh, dealt with the idea that we do not provide uh, women who are being supported through a a sholish through a uh, through an, an apotropis. We don't provide her with a with a wine provision. The Gemara will continue with more discussions concerning this matter of wine, but Amir Tzashem will pick that up in our next shiur.